And, uh, but this morning, if you've got your Bibles, turn back to Luke chapter 2. Let's stand as we open God's Word together. And as we hear the Word of the Lord today, as we hear the message, um, be preparing your hearts to partake of the, the Lord's table together at the conclusion of this message and, and our service today. Just say it, right? Breaking the silence with our witness. Today we'll look at the shepherds and uh, not only how their silence was broken by the angels, but as a response to that silence being broken, they also broke the silence by taking the message in obedience to what they had heard. It says in verse 15 of Luke chapter 2 that when the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off. I think that's probably an understatement, but the best it could be worded in an English translation. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who, were lying, or who was lying in the feeding trough. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. That's going to be our key verse this morning. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them, but Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard just as it had been told. And Father, I pray that that same fire that was in the hearts of those shepherds would be in our hearts when we leave this place today, Lord, that you would so consume us with the message of good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the hope of the world that was born on Christmas, and as the kids reminded us, lived a sinless life, died on a cross for our sins, and rose from the grave. May that message permeate us and transform us and cause us to truly share the message abroad. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. And you can be seated this morning. Okay, we are dismissing the preschoolers at this time. I, I knew there wasn't uh, regular children's church, but preschool can be dismissed uh, this morning at this time. So, is, did I say that right? All right. So, preschoolers, you are free to be dismissed at this time. As, as we uh, approach these next couple of days, how many of your kids are just already bursting at the seams with excitement for Christmas morning? Can you remember uh, uh, being so excited about something that you got for Christmas when you were a kid? Let me ask you this. When you got it, did you keep it a secret? Did, were you kind of like, we don't want anybody to know about this? No, not at all. We couldn't wait to get together with parents, grandparents, whoever we could come in contact with and say, guess what I got for Christmas, right? That's what the, the kids look forward not only to receiving it, but as much as they get excited about receiving gifts, they want to tell somebody what they got. In fact, if they're in kindergarten, there's a good chance, like when I was in kindergarten, that there is still a special day called show and tell, right? Show and tell, where you get to take something, perhaps something that you got for Christmas, and go and show and tell everybody else what that means to you. Now, I want us to think about it in our adulthood, church, for those of us who are adults here. We can now fathom, we can begin to understand at least, not completely, but understand that the greatest gift we've ever received is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. 
And yet we act like sometimes we're too mature now to share that, to be excited about telling others. What I want you to see when we talk about breaking the silence with our witness today is that these shepherds had received a a very precious gift. The gift was the good news of the birth of a Savior who had come for those that were just like these shepherds. God had broken the silence, and they could not wait to make the news known. Remember, as we've gone through this series, God's the one who broke the silence when the Word became flesh. He he initiated this whole breaking of the silence after 400 silent years. Zacharias, who was struck mute when he had questions of concern or doubt, trying to figure out what the angel was trying to communicate to him, he broke the silence with this great missional statement about what his son John the Baptist as well as what Jesus would be all about, the difference he would make in our world. Then last week we saw that Mary, who again reading about her in this passage, seems to be one who is contemplative and and keeps things on the inside and ponders things in her heart. But last week we saw that she couldn't contain it anymore and she burst forth with praise, the Magnificat, right? as she glorified and magnified God in her worship. And so that should all be a description of the Christian, but one more description we learned from the shepherds. It's not only our worship, but our witness. They were worshipers too, and we see that in the text, but it was their witness. They're they're telling everything that they had come to know about this child. The angels had broken the silence in the night sky. They were Uh, giving words of witness to the shepherds. But then the shepherds, and and we can identify a lot more with the shepherds than we can the angels. They broke the silence with their own witness. And again, verse 17, I want to kind of be the focal verse this morning. It's, It's the key to our understanding of what it means to breaking the silence with our witness. When it says, after seeing them, they reported the message. They were told about this child, this I believe in this one verse, we're presented with two paramount questions. If we're going to break the silence, these two paramount questions, all people have to answer. We have to answer what we're going to do with Jesus, right? So here's the first question. How have you had a life-changing encounter with the Christ of Christmas? These shepherds would never be the same after that night. But have you personally had a life-changing encounter with the Christ of Christmas? In verse 17, it says, when they had seen him. You know the story leading up to this, the the witness and the worship of the angels themselves. Going back to verse 9, let's just kind of catch you up to context if you have forgotten parts of the story. It says, an angel of the Lord stood before them. The glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you. Now this is, don't be afraid of how God is at work here, right? I proclaim to you good news, that's gospel, of great joy that will be for all people. And that's why even this day, all people must answer this question. How have you had a life-changing encounter with the Christ of Christmas? Today, a Savior who is Messiah, Christ, right? The Lord was born for you in the city of David. This will be a sign. You will find the baby wrapped in 
It says here, wrapped snugly, some of your translations say, in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel. Now they're not seeing one angel. They're seeing, in, along with this herald angel, many angels heralding the birth of Messiah, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people on whom his favor rests. Now, that's a remarkable witness, isn't it? The angels telling humanity Messiah has been born. What a powerful witness. And it'd be wonderful if, if that's the way that God always worked. But I believe God knew there would be a better way than communicating the gospel through angels. You see, angels can't even understand something that those shepherds could understand that they were sinful in humanity in need of a Savior. In fact, the Bible tells us, you're, you're thinking, well, you mean God's perfect holy angels can't understand some things? In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 12, it says, angels desire to look into or understand these things regarding salvation, the incarnation, the, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Why would God the Son become a man. The angels long to look into that. They, they long to try to get their understanding around that. But they couldn't grasp the gospel, the love of Christ, the forgiveness that Jesus would offer to sinful men represented by these shepherds. If you were to ask the angels, why would God the Son become a man, become humanity, take on the sins of the world, and go to a cross? The angels would have to say, we've been trying to figure it out ourselves. We're looking into it. We know it's true, and we're here to serve him and make him known and worship him. And, but we don't get it. We don't understand it. And these angels were not in need of redemption like these shepherds. So he came for the likes of the shepherds that we're reading about. Those who had reputations of being poor, irreligious, sinful, smelly, cynical humanity, all of the jokes about disgusting humanity could have been made in the first century about these shepherds. But, verses 15 and 16, the angels, when they had left them, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they hurried and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a feeding trough, that God had come to a place where they would hang out. That stable, that manger, the humility of our Lord Jesus Christ, he would hang out in a place that the shepherds would hang out. Now, have you ever felt like you had to rough it for a season? How, how many of you would just say, actually, Pastor, I enjoy roughing it sometimes, right? Maybe it's a camping trip. Maybe it's a hunting trip or something like that. Roughing it is defined as living without the comforts and conveniences you've become accustomed to in daily life. So sometimes, not all the time, sometimes we like to rough it a little bit. Whether it's that hunting trip, that camping trip, maybe it's that power adage when the snow that my wife is praying for finally comes and we feel like we, we don't have electricity, we don't have uh, the heater working, or in the summertime if we ever have to go without air conditioning, we feel like in those moments we are truly roughing it. Some of you, if you go as a counselor to kids camp, you think, man, I'm roughing it for a little while. If we go on a mission trip, and those who are serving in the military will tell us, you know, there are areas that you can go to where you're really roughing it. 
when you have to go for a long period of time without a shower. We're roughing it. No running water. That's roughing it. In the 21st century, some of you are sitting there thinking, if I have to go without Wi-Fi and the Internet and my cell phone, well, I'm roughing it. I can't handle life without those conveniences and comforts that have been a part of me for so long. That's roughing it. When you think about what we call roughing it and compare it to what Jesus, who laid aside his robes of royalty, who laid aside all of his privileges of deity, being fully God with the Father, and he said those privileges, not the deity itself, he was still fully God, but he laid aside all the luxuries of deity. He traded his splendor for rags, for swaddling clothes, and was found in a place, and I like what one of the kids said, I believe there were even rats there. That's where he came, a place where these shepherds could identify with him. He came to his own. His own received him not, but as many as received him to them, he gave the right to be called the children of God. These shepherds realized that Jesus came to meet them where they are, and it would change their lives. Jesus, through his spirit, comes to convict the world of sin, of judgment, and of righteousness. And when his Holy Spirit knocks on your heart's door, that's Jesus coming to where you are. And when Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly, you have the opportunity to embrace Christ and life in his name, to turn from sin and self and receive the forgiveness of sins. Have you had a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ? If any man be, be in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, he is a new creation. Old things pass away, all things become new. Have you had a life-changing encounter with the Christ of Christmas? I believe these shepherds had a life-changing encounter. Secondly, this morning, let me ask you another paramount question. For those of you who could answer that question in the affirmative and you say, yes, Pastor Ravi, I can tell you the day and the hour, the time. I know that I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and he has changed my life. I've had that life-changing encounter with the Christ of Christmas. Here's the second question. Are you committed to making Christ known to the world? See, I think if you answer the first question in the affirmative, you can't help but answer the second question in the affirmative because you will be committed to making Christ known to the world. If you're not committed to making Christ known to the world, I have to wonder, did you really have a life-changing encounter with him to begin with? But in this verse, this key verse, this focal verse again, verse 17, after seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. Now, there are two primary ancient Greek texts that we use for our modern English translations today, that most would use. And there's one small variant between the two earliest, most reliable manuscripts, if you will. One small variant. By the way, when you hear people speak of variants in the early manuscripts of Scripture, none of them carry any, any significant theological ramifications. In other words, you don't have to worry, oh, are we using the right Bible today? There are plenty of good modern translations. However, the two Greek texts most translations use have this one small variance. It's a prefix before the word in the translation I'm reading as reported. 
Significant here is the fact that translators from both manuscripts will often see this prefix as being necessary. You say, well, why does that make any difference in my interpretation of Scripture or the application to my life? Here's why. Because I believe the King James, when it says made known abroad, is a great way of stating it. The New King James says made widely known. So it's more than just a report It's how extant that report was. The New Living Translation says they told everyone, and the NIV says they spread the word. In other words, just saying reported might be an understatement here that God was doing something in the lives of these shepherds, and they were trying to tell everybody that they came in contact with there in Bethlehem, the crowds that had gathered were hearing this report. The consensus of all modern translations would be that there's a brief time in Bethlehem that had brought these shepherds in contact with a lot of people, and they couldn't stay quiet about their encounter. They had to tell everybody about what they had seen and heard and experienced concerning Jesus. Nor could they stay quiet about it as they went back to their job. In verse 20, it says, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard, just as had been told. This life-changing encounter was not something that they could be quiet about. They had to just say it to everybody that they came in contact with. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who would believe. I'm asking you in the 21st century, Christian, Are you ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Jesus said, if those who are ashamed of me before man, I'll be ashamed of them before my Father who is in heaven. Now, I don't know what all of that means theologically, but it's kind of scary to think that Jesus on judgment day would be ashamed of me before the Father. And he says, if we proclaim him, If we claim him and proclaim him before men, he proclaims, he claims us before the Father who is in heaven. Are you committed to making Christ known to the world, to your world, to your realm of influence? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power. See, the power of the gospel is an intrinsic power. It's within the gospel itself. It has the power to change lives. It just needs to be spoken because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. All week long this past week, evangelicals have been arguing over whether the support of our president or the lack of support for our president is hurting the gospel. And I can promise you something The gospel's power is intrinsic. It doesn't need the endorsement of the Republican Party. It does not need the endorsement of the Democratic Party. It does not need the blessing of the President of the United States. It does not need the church's endorsement on any political party or president. The gospel is an intrinsic power. It just needs to be shared. We just need to be proclaiming the gospel. I believe with all my heart if the church would talk as much about Jesus and the gospel as we do about politics, we would change the world and the world wouldn't have to trust so much in politicians to bring about the change. The gospel advanced rapidly during the age of Roman rule, the persecution of the church, rampant paganism. 
but it was the gospel that had the intrinsic power, and that's where the church is being silent. So you've got one group of people saying the church needs to speak up in support of the president, and another group saying the church needs to speak up in support of confronting the sins of the president. Listen, whether we agree or disagree on those issues has no bearing on the power of the gospel. It is an intrinsic power. Maybe we need to turn off the TV and get out and knock on some doors and share that good news with friends and neighbors who need to know about Jesus because we can assure them that Jesus will never be impeached. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. He came once. He lived a sinless life, died on a cross, rose victorious from the grave. And when he comes again, it's not going to be on the back of an elephant or a donkey. This time, it's going to be on a white horse, and he's coming as king of kings and lord of lords. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And that's the message we need to make known to a sin-fallen world. If we would share the gospel, we would see the difference it makes. Could you imagine for a moment if you discovered the cure for cancer. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I've prayed with so many families that were hurting and broken, who have lost loved ones to this dreaded disease. I've been in homes where people have battled and beaten it with God's grace and healing touch, and I've been in homes where God gave the ultimate healing, and I've been with people, including my own dear mother-in-law, holding her hand, and wiping her face as she breathed her last. And I would love church to know that I had a cure so nobody would ever have to go through that. I guarantee you one thing, if I did, if I did have the cure, I wouldn't be quiet about it. I'd share it with everybody I possibly could. Listen, there's something much worse than cancer. It's called sinful depravity. And it's a disease that would cause us to spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. And God has said, you've got the cure. You've got the cure. How dare we not take that cure to the world? Are you committed to making Christ known in your world? Would you bow your heads with me? Every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. Begin now to meditate and prepare your heart.